thank you. It's so great to be here. Um, I was just thinking as we were driving here, just how cool the kingdom of God is that, you know, I got to pray for all of you before Valley was even a thing and before God had done this, as Michael was just thinking about where he was leading him and, and I get to now see what God did and that's, and that's awesome. And, and you, you know, don't know me at all, but you've been a blessing in my life and, you know, by, by loving Michael and Kristen and supporting them, you know, Michael's been a blessing to me and, and I hope through me been a blessing to many believers as well in, in Linwood and people who never meet, but that you've been able to bless. And so I just, I love what God is doing. We're going to be in the book of Acts this morning. Our, our church is going through Acts this year, and, uh, and so we're, we're going to read a story called The Ethiopian Eunuch in Acts chapter 8. If you want to turn there, it's, this is Acts chapter 8, verse 26 is where we're going to start. But uh, I, I, I've been loving being in the book of Acts. You know, the book of Acts is the story of the early church, and yet what is so great is that as you read the story of the early church, you're actually reading your own story. You're reading this, the story of the church that was begun in the early pages of Acts, but continues today. And, and Valley Church and Alderwood Community Church, they are the same church that we read about in, in these pages of the book of Acts. And so as we learn about this group of believers, we're learning about ourselves as well. And, and one of the things we're going to focus in on today as we learn about the church is who we are. What does it mean to be the church? And, and I'm going to show you one verse in Acts. There's actually one verse in chapter one that summarizes the whole book. So if you just want to know what is the whole book of Acts about, this is it right here. A- Acts chapter one, verse eight. Jesus is talking to his disciples. This is before he ascends into heaven. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the story of Acts and it's our story as well. This is the story of the people who are witnesses to Jesus. So if you're a follower of Jesus, who you are, you're somebody who says, I know Jesus I've seen his work in my life. I know what he's done for us. We're family now because of him. And my purpose here is to be a witness to that, is to tell other people what I know because I know Jesus. And the story of Acts is the story of the church expanding, first in Jerusalem, telling people about Jesus there, and then it expands to Judea and Samaria and eventually to the ends of the earth. And we are continuing that mission today. And so in our story in the book of Acts, we're going to look at what does that mean? What does it mean to be a witness? How are we today witnesses to Jesus in our personal life and in our relationships? And as we get ready to to kind of unpack that together, I just want us to look a little bit at our moment today, at our culture. When you think about your world and the people you know, the people you work with, the people you live around, if we're going to be witnesses there, we need to understand that we're missionaries. And just like if you were a missionary in an unreached people group in Indonesia, you would want to know, okay, what is this culture about? What, what do these people think about the world and about God? We need to do that too. So, so think about your world and our world today, the people around you, what do they know about Jesus? And there, there's an interesting moment that we are living in today as people in the United States of America in 2024. And there's so much we could say about our culture, but I'm just going to look at one piece. And, and there's this kind of trend happening in religion today, and 
It's called the great de-churching. Uh, this is a, a, fra- a phrase that has been given to this, this movement that we're watching in America where there's this huge decline in the number of people who attend church and, and people who study this have been trying to figure out, okay, what, what, what is going on here? And just to help you kind of wrap your mind around this, a study from the group called Barna that that's researches all kinds of uh, religious things, they, they looked at this, this trend we're in of the great de-churching. Here's, here's what they discovered. 156 million people in America today are unchurched. They, they don't attend church. They have no plans to attend church. So if you took our country and you took just the people who don't go to church and you made them their own nation, yeah, they would be, <laughs> well, we, we want them here. We want to talk to them. <laughs> but but if they did that, they would be the eighth largest country in the world. So uh, there are a lot of unchurched people in our nation uh, in the last 10 years, if you took just the number of people who at one point attended church and now no longer, they, they became unchurched, that group of people is larger than the whole population of Canada or Australia. There, there are a lot of people in our backyard who have become unchurched recently. It probably won't surprise you to hear that in, in the United States, the highest concentration of people who are unchurched is on the West Coast, so we're, we're living here. Uh, and, and yet, here's maybe something that y- you haven't realized. At least this was new to me. All, all these people, the 156 million people who are unchurched, 76% of them at one point in their life attended church. I don't mean that they went to a wedding or a funeral or something like that. No, like they, they went to church. So the people that you know in your life who aren't closely walking with the Lord, they're not going to church, likely they have some opinions about church. They, they've been, they've thought about it. They, they, they know what Christianity is. And as you are a witness in their life, you need to understand that as well, that you're not the first person to talk to them about Jesus. There might be some misconceptions. There might be some even bad experiences in their life. And yet, as people have been studying this and trying to figure out, okay, how can we reach people in our own backyard? Uh, there's a recent study that was published in a book called The Great Dechurching, and they asked people who weren't going to church, they said, okay, help us understand, would you be willing to go to church? And they found something really amazing. Uh, this is what they found, that, that when asked how willing they would be to go back to church, 51% said they're either somewhat willing or very willing. It, for me, this is important because I think there's this idea out there that we're in this moment where people are hostile to Jesus. They're hostile to faith. They, they don't want to go to church. They don't want to talk about religion. And that kind of makes us feel like we shouldn't talk about it because people don't want to. And yet what people actually found is that when you talk to people who aren't going to church, actually more than half said, I, I would be willing to go. And so if that's true. How can we be effective witnesses? How can we engage these people around us who, who maybe, maybe they know Jesus, maybe they don't, but they're not going to church how can we be a part of the way that God is drawing them to himself? And, and so this study that is published in this book, they asked these people who said they were willing to go back. They said, okay, tell us, what would it take for you to go back to church? If you say you're willing, like, how, how would that ever happen? And, and here's what they said. I'm going to give you the top 10 reasons why people said they might be willing to go to church. Here's what they are. Said, I might be, going to willing, to, I might be willing to go back to church if I made new friends if I moved and wanted to make new friends, if I became lonely and wanted to make new friends, 
if my children wanted to go, if my spouse wanted to go, if a friend invited me, if there's a good pastor, if, they, if I find good community, if I miss my church community, or if I just found a church that I liked. Those are the top 10. Did you notice any themes there? Uh, one of them was about the pastor. So Michael has to be a good pastor. That's, that's one. One of them is about the church, it's a church that I like. So together, we have to be a church that people might want to like to attend. But the other eight, they were friends, 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 spouse, children, friends, community, community. Okay? So here's what this means. If the church today is going to be effective in being witnesses of Jesus. It isn't going to be because there's some flashy church in town that people see billboards of and want to go. It's going to be because the people in their life, you, the, the relationships, the people they live around, some way are going to be the reason that they come. God is going to use you in people's lives. And if we're the church, just like the early church was the church, this is our mission. We're witnesses to Jesus. And so let's, let's think today, how, how do we do that? How do you, in your life, with your friends and your neighbor, how do you be a witness to Jesus? And we're going we're to see that in the story of the Ethiopian eunuch tonight. Here's the, here's the main point. The one thing I want you to take away as you think about being a witness to those around you. Is that being witnesses means partnering with the Holy Spirit in what he is already doing. When you think about sharing the gospel, when you think about talking to someone about Jesus, I think sometimes we think that Jesus has sent us and now it's on us. Like, we, we, we got to, you know, meet somebody. We got to figure out what to say. Maybe there's a pamphlet involved. I don't know. But, like, it's on us. But yet the reality is that everyone around you, the Holy Spirit has been working in their life long before you ever thought of them, long before they ever knew you, long before you ever thought of the idea that maybe you should talk to them about Jesus. The Holy Spirit was at work. He, he was drawing them. He, he was pointing them to the reality of spiritual things in their life. They've been thinking about this, and, and we're going to see how when the Holy Spirit draws us to be a part of being a witness to Jesus, he's drawing us to something that he's already doing. He's been at work. He's the one who works in people's lives, and he gives us the opportunity to join him in it. And so we're going to look at four ways that we partner with the Spirit tonight, four ways that we are witnesses to Jesus with him. The first is that we pray. Here, here's our story in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. It begins here. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up, and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. Philip is one of the early followers of Jesus, and he's just been on fire lately in the book of Acts. He, he was up in Samaria. Hundreds of people were coming to know the Lord. It was crazy. And, and now what we're told is that an angel of the Lord shows up, and he talks to Philip, and he says, I got somewhere for you to go. I want you to go down south to Gaza. Now, we know of Gaza today in our world because of world events and all the horrible things that are going on there that need our prayer. Uh, but what the early readers of this story would have known when, when they were told that Philip went to Gaza was this is the road south out of Jerusalem. It's a road that connects to all of Africa, and, and God tells Philip to go there. And, and I just want to stop here. I said the, the first way we partner with the Spirit to be witnesses to Jesus is we pray. And that maybe isn't obvious from this verse, but when it says an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, I want us to think about how does that kind of thing happen? How, how does God speak to people? And sometimes when we read the Bible, 
we think this is the kind of thing that happened a long time ago. It's the kind of thing that happened to Bible people. In our day and age, angels don't speak to us. I've never had an angel show up and talk to me. Uh, Maybe you have. I would love to hear that story later tonight. Um, But don't get confused and don't think that this is the kind of thing that used to happen and doesn't happen anymore. How do people hear from God? And the answer is that people hear from God when they are devoted to prayer, when they're devoted to spending time in God's presence, to listening, to speaking with him. And maybe like me in much of my life, you feel like, look, I've, I've done a lot of prayer in my life, but I just haven't heard much from God. I do a lot of talking. Uh, I, I don't hear God say much back to me. Um, and yet, I actually think often we don't hear from God because we're not listening. I, uh, I remember one point in my life when I was a little bit younger, I, I had a mentor, a, a youth pastor of mine who, uh, who did a lot in my life. One of the main reasons why I'm in ministry today, her name was Katie. And we were talking a lot about prayer as a church. And, um, and I said this to her. I said, look, I, I, we're talking a lot about prayer. I know prayer is important. I'm going to keep praying. Don't worry. But all this idea of listening to God, like, I just, I don't hear him speak ever. Do you? I, have you ever heard him speak? I, I pray a lot. I, I pray before we eat dinner. I, I get up in the morning, I read my Bible, and I pray. But I don't hear God talk to me very often, ever. And she asked me a question that is one of the best questions anyone's ever asked me. She said, are you listening? Are you listening to God? And the truth is that I wasn't. I, I was speaking a lot, but I wasn't actually ever taking time to just sit with God, to, to, to sit in his presence, to invite him, to bring to mind what he wants me to do, maybe the sin that I need to confess, the people he's brought into my life that he wants me to invest in. My, my time with him was all one way. It was me talking. It wasn't listening. And yet Philip is a man who has devoted a lot of time to sitting with God, to praying. Uh, this, this spiritual practice of shutting off the world so that we can listen, it is a huge part of the, the lives of the apostles. In the book of Acts, it points us to it time and time again, over and over. The story tells us how devoted people were to prayer. This is Acts 1. It tells us they were all continually united in prayer. Acts 2, we're told they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. In, in Acts 6, the apostles, they bring up uh, deacons so that they, they can be more devoted to prayer. They say, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. There was a lot of time and a lot of effort being put into just being with God and listening to him. And today in our world, often we just don't have the time. You know, we're, our phone's in our pocket, Netflix is calling. Uh, I mean, I, and I'm not trying to make you feel bad. This is my life as well. Like we, we've filled our, our free time with so much stuff that we just don't have the space to listen. And yet, if you want to be a witness, if you want to be a part of what God is doing, it's going to start by listening to him. Because if he's already been at work, if he's the one who's drawing people, you need him to point you to the people that he is calling you to speak to. That's what Philip does, and we're told that he responds. We're told, so he, he got up and he went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch 
and a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. See, the spirit, he had been working in the life of an Ethiopian man. This is the person he's called Philip to go speak to. And I just want to think with you for a second about who this guy is. He's He's in power. He has a role that people would have looked up to. He's traveling uh, probably with a large group of people. This was a huge journey. Okay, so if you need a little help with the geography, uh, up here in, in green, this is Israel. He's coming from Ethiopia, which is in orange there. It's about 1,500 miles. Today, we just have lost all appreciation for a journey like this. We look at that and we're like, that looks like about a four-hour plane flight, doesn't it? And yet, for this guy, it was a 1,500-mile journey by chariot. Did anybody ever play uh, the Oregon Trail as a kid? Did you ever, have you ever done that? You know, like That's what this is, okay? This is like you have died of dysentery. That, that's this kind of journey where it's dangerous. I mean, like no doubt when they started this journey, at this point, he's on his way home from Jerusalem. They have lost people, for sure. People have died on this journey. The Ethiopian man, he, for some reason, he cared so much about going to visit the temple of Yahweh in Jerusalem. He was willing to risk his life for it. He was willing to give up a year of his life to make this journey. So we know something about him. He was hungry spiritually. He knew he needed something that he didn't have. He wanted to understand God. He wanted to understand the universe. And so he traveled to Jerusalem. But we know something else. And what we know is that it probably wasn't the best experience for him. Here's why I say that. One, we can just start with the fact that this is a a black man traveling to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, he, he would have stood out quite a bit. People would have given him some looks. But more than that, he's a Gentile. He's not a Jew. And if you're a Gentile and you, and you travel to the temple, you're allowed to come in the front doors. There, there, there's this place called the Court of the Gentiles where you could enter the temple, you could worship Yahweh, and you couldn't go very far in. You couldn't go to the places where the Jews could go to worship, but you could be in the Court of the Gentiles. And yet, for the Ethiopian man, he actually couldn't even go into the Court of the Gentiles. See, in the Old Testament law, in the book of Deuteronomy, there were rules about who could be present in the assembly of God's people in the temple. And one thing that we were taught was that eunuchs were not allowed at all. And so this man, he traveled 1,500 miles to Jerusalem, and he couldn't even go in the front door. He could look at it from the outside. He could talk to people as they were coming in and going out. But he was told, you are not allowed to step foot inside this building. And so now he's on his way home. And I wonder if you could think about some of the doubts in his mind, some of the questions. Is this real? Is God really present here? And if he is, how, how can I get to know him if I'm not even allowed into the temple at all? How, how could I serve this God if he won't even allow me in? And he's in this chariot and he's going back and we're told that he's reading the scroll of Isaiah. So apparently they at least let him into the gift shop. Okay, so he bought the scroll of Isaiah and and he's he's on the way home and he's trying to understand this God. And this is where we're going to see the second part of what it means to be a witness, how how we partner with the Holy Spirit. The second thing we do is we listen. Okay, you pray. 
you ask the Spirit, would you show me the opportunities you're putting before me? Would you show me the people that you're calling me to go and talk to about Jesus? And then you start to listen. You listen to people's stories. This is what Philip had to do. He's about to see this person and understand who he is. We're told the Spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. That, that's who I want you to go be a witness to. And when Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. And he said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Philip says, hey, do you, do you get what you're reading? Do you understand the book of Isaiah? And if, and if you've ever read the book of Isaiah, you know exactly what the Ethiopian said. He says, how could I possibly understand this? It's the most confusing thing I've ever read in my life. And yet Philip, who, who his whole life has spent, you know, memorizing the scriptures as, as a Jewish man, he, he would have known this book inside and out. And he says, ah, I might be able to help. Can, I, can, I, can we talk about this? And so he's invited up to his chariot and we're told exactly what they were reading. This is what it says in verse 32. Now, the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before his shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So 2,000 years later, we have been in church at least once if you're here and maybe you grew up in church and and the church today has realized how much of the book of Isaiah is a prophecy about Jesus and so when we read this text uh, as Christians a lot of this sounds like Jesus type stuff to us but but in this moment 2000 years ago not many people have put those pieces together yet. And so, and so the, the Ethiopian eunuch, he doesn't understand anything at all about what's going on here. This is what he says. The eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about, himself or someone else? That's how basic of a question we're at right now. Is this an autobiography or is he talking about some other person? Like, who is even being described here? And, and Philip is going to get a chance to answer, but I, I don't want to move too fast here because I want us to sit with how important it is that we listen when we're thinking about the people that God has put in our life who need to know Jesus. See, to this point, Philip has not talked about Jesus at all. All he's done, he's shown up, he's observed, he's seen that this is a very important man, he's coming south, he's leaving Jerusalem, he's listened, he's heard that he's reading the prophet Isaiah, he's asked questions he said, hey, do you understand this? Do you get what's going on? But Philip has not said much of anything yet. And sometimes when we think about sharing the gospel, we think it's all about speaking, and yet so much of it is about listening. It's about understanding someone's story. Often, uh, it's going to take a long time of listening, actually. You know, this, this story is going to move pretty quick. The, the Ethiopian eunuch is ready to, to hear, is ready to understand Jesus. Often the people in your life, they're not ready yet. And yet, don't, uh, don't cut yourself short. When you sit with somebody, when you get coffee with someone, when you ask them about their life, when, when you really grasp their hurt, their disappointment, the things they've wanted that haven't come true, the, the, the way their family treated them, that they still carry with them every day, the Holy Spirit uses that listening. It is a huge part of someone's spiritual journey. And this is why it's so important that we get that, that when we share the gospel, it's a partnership with the Spirit. You can trust 
that the Spirit is at work even without you speaking, that the Spirit is doing things that you know nothing of. This, this happened to me uh, just a couple weeks ago um, where we live up in Linwood. Uh, we're really close to a place called Woodenville, which is like a big uh, kind of wine country area. And so we uh, were members at a winery there and we're there maybe a couple times a month. And there's a guy who works there. Every time we're there, his name's Tanner. And he's probably uh, 21, 22 and we've got to know Tanner a little bit. And, and one of the times we were there, it was, it was slow night and, and he was lingering by our table and we were talking a bit and he shared that he was studying for his finals. And I asked him where he was going to college and he told me he was going to Northwest. Northwest is a, a Christian university up by where we live. And, and I said, oh, Northwest. So uh, are, you, uh, you know, are you a follower of Jesus? Do you go to church? And, and he said, no, uh, I grew up in the church and my parents are believers, but I don't believe anymore. And I, I'm not sure what's going on in the world, but I, I know that I've got a lot of questions. I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. And, uh, and he asked about me. He asked me if I had faith, and I was able to tell him that I was a pastor and uh, that we were at a church, you know, 15 minutes from where they were. And, and that's where it ended. That, that was the end of the conversation. I, all I did was ask some questions. He shared a little bit of his life. And then six months went by, and we didn't talk again about anything spiritual. Not, I, I didn't bring it up. He didn't bring it up. We, we saw him a few times. And we were at that winery one more time and, and Tanner came by our table and unsolicited, he came up and he said, hey, you said you're a pastor, didn't you? And I said, yeah, I'm a pastor. And he said, so you go to church around here somewhere? And I said, yeah, I mean, that's kind of part of the job. Yeah, I go. Uh, and, uh, and he said, I'm going to come. I, I, I need to figure this out. I, I'm not saying I'm coming because I believe, but I just, I, I'm going to come. And my point is this. The Holy Spirit's at work even when you're not. I wasn't talking to Tanner. I wasn't explaining the gospel to him. And yet God was doing something. I don't even know what God was doing. I don't know why he came up to us that day. But just me being in his life and being willing to ask some questions about him, that was a door that the Holy Spirit used. And I don't know how Tanner's story is going to end. He hasn't come yet. We'll see what God does. But just you being present in someone's life, being curious, wanting to know about them, God will use that. And then as you pray and as you listen, eventually there will be a moment for you to speak. Somebody will want to know, okay, what do you believe? Tell me about Jesus. And, and Philip's opportunity has come, right? The Ethiopian eunuch, he says, okay, this, this passage we've been reading, who, who is it about? And, and Philip sees the door open and we're told that Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus beginning with that scripture, Philip says, yeah, what you're reading, it's about a guy named Jesus. Can I tell you about him? And I, I think this part of being a witness is probably the part that's the scariest to us, that the actual opening of your mouth and talking. Uh, you know, I, I don't know about you, if you have any anxiety or fear about having to explain your faith to someone, uh, you know, if somebody put you on the spot and said, would you tell me about Jesus? Would you tell me about Christianity? I don't know if you'd be totally comfortable in that situation. Probably not. And yet, I think it's important we recognize that the Spirit is at work even in that. Even when we open our mouth, it is still a partnership with Him. 
We can feel like it's on us, and maybe part of it is because of a verse like this. I don't know if you've ever heard this verse before. I had to memorize it as like a seven-year-old. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Okay, this this is a command from the Apostle Peter. He says, look, you need to be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. And yet, Unfortunately, I think because of a verse like this, many of us put a ton of pressure on ourselves because we've misread it. We, we thought that this verse said, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you any question they have about the faith. And we think, I don't know. I don't know how to explain everything. I don't, I don't know the questions they might have. I, I'm not a, a pastor like Michael. I, I'm not somebody who's gone to seminary. I don't know my Bible that well. What if they ask me something I don't know how to answer? And so often we put all this pressure on ourselves, and we end up just not saying anything. Or we end up saying, man, I, I know a pastor. Maybe you should talk to him. <laughs> But that's not what the verse says, right? No, the verse says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. This verse is saying, be ready to tell people that Jesus is the reason for the hope that you have. And you may not have the answer to every question. You may not know everything, but can you tell somebody why you follow Jesus? And if you can't, that's okay. Let's figure it out together. Michael would love to talk to you. If you can't answer why you're a follower of Jesus, that's worth figuring out. That's what Peter's telling you here. But you don't have to know everything. I think sometimes we need to balance a verse like this with with another verse about sharing our faith. I love this story. It's one of my favorites from Matthew chapter 10. Jesus is trying to prepare the disciples for the fact that he's going to leave. And he says, hey, I'm not going to be here very long. Pretty soon, I'm, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to, I'm going to ascend into heaven. I'm going to leave you guys behind, and, and you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to have to talk to people about me. And Jesus says, actually, it's going to get pretty intense. You're, you're going to be drug in front of courts and synagogues. You're going to be flogged sometimes because of me. You're, you're going to be put in front of kings and governors, and it's going to be on you to talk to people about my name. And then Jesus looks at the disciples, and he says, but... Don't worry about it. And the disciples are like, come again? uh, We weren't worried about it, but now that you told us that, we're actually pretty worried about it. What do you you mean don't worry about it? And Jesus says, no, yeah. When they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you are to speak, for you will be given what to say at that hour. Because it isn't you speaking but the spirit of your father is speaking through you. So be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. But also remember that this is a partnership with the spirit and and, and you can count on him. That when you're faithful, when you're willing to be present in someone's life, when you're willing to ask questions, when somebody knows you well enough and loves you enough to say, would you tell me about Jesus? You can trust that in that moment, the Spirit is going to give you the words to speak because it's actually Him speaking through you. But do pay attention to what this verse says. Jesus tells them, you will be given what to say at that hour. In that moment, I'm not going to say, I'm going to totally give you all the answers beforehand, a week before, a month before. You're going to be completely confident. No, he says, you're going to go in feeling unprepared, like you don't know what's going on, but at that hour, I'm going to meet you there. The Holy Spirit's not going to leave you high and dry. 
When you're faithful, when you show up in someone's life, he is going to give you the words to speak. And, and as you talk about Jesus, eventually the moment's going to come where you get to invite someone. That's the last way that we partner with the Spirit. We, we pray, we ask him to show us who he's calling us towards. We listen to people's stories. We understand who they are. We speak when given the opportunity. And eventually we invite. We say, hey, you know, Jesus died for you. Are, are you ready to respond with that? And, and here's how our story ends in Acts 8. We're told as they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? And if you, you grew up in the uh, industrialized evangelical church, the answer is, well, you haven't filled out the paperwork yet. So uh, you need to, you know, go see the front desk. But no, actually, he says, hey, what, what would keep me from being baptized? And, and Philip was going to baptize him right here in a second. But the, the reason why I point this out is because why do you think this guy was asking about baptism? It's because Philip invited him to respond to Jesus. When Philip was telling him, he said, you know what, Jesus died for you. And, and actually, the good news for you is that, you know, how you, you were just kept out of the temple. You, you were just told you weren't allowed in God's presence because of who you are. Jesus died on the cross. And, now, and actually, now the door is open to everyone. God's family is for all who respond to Jesus. There is no Jew. There is no Gentile any longer. If you believe in him the kingdom of God is yours. Are you ready to respond? Are you ready to place your faith in Jesus? And if you are, the way you declare that is by getting baptized. And, and as Philip explains that, as he invites him to respond, the eunuch says, I'm, I'm ready. I'm in. I, I want Jesus. And so I, I, let's find the closest body of water possible because I'm about to get baptized to declare that to the world. And, and so he ordered the chariot to stop. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. Right at that moment, God used Philip, the Ethiopian eunuch. He came into the kingdom, and, and that was the end of Philip's time with the eunuch. God carries him away somewhere else. I would have loved to have seen that. But what we're told is that the, the Ethiopian eunuch, he, he went on his way rejoicing. And this is the last that the Bible will record anything about this man. But church history will tell us that the Ethiopian eunuch, he continued on his way home. He went back to Ethiopia and he became the first evangelist in Ethiopia. He became the first person to tell people about Jesus. And a church began there and thousands and thousands of people gave their lives to the Lord because of this moment and this story that we just read. The same way that the church was called to be witnesses to Jesus in the book of Acts. It is our story as well. It's our purpose here. And so I, I want to ask you tonight, where are you at in responding to this call that Jesus has put on your life? Do you know the names of the people that God is calling you to be a witness to? Are you praying for them? Are you investing in their life? And if the answer is no, there's no guilt here. It's time to start. It's time to pray. It's time to sit in God's presence to say, Lord, I know you have a purpose for my life. I know that you've called me to a mission that you want to use me and I want to be used. And so here I am, Lord. Would you show me the opportunities before me? Would you bring to mind that person that you want me to speak to and, and, and as he does, to be faithful to go and, and to pray and to invest and to speak and to invite and all of that. 
And as you think about that tonight, we're going to pray in just a second, and I want you to pray that prayer that God would show you those people. But if you're here tonight and, and, and those people don't come to mind, and, and, and honestly, as you reflect, you know, maybe you're in a spot in your faith this evening, this season, where things are just a little dry. You know, all of us have those stretches in our time with the Lord. Uh, you're not sure what he's doing. You aren't thinking much about spiritual things when it becomes 440 on a Sunday night. You're kind of thinking, do I have to go again, on, you know, every week? Is it? And one of the things I just want to suggest to you as a possibility is that it is possible that the reason why your faith is dry right now, the reason why maybe you're a little bit bored with Christianity or with Jesus, it might be because you're not joining him on the mission that he's called you to. See, being witnesses, it is our purpose here on earth. It's actually the only thing that we do right here, right now, that we won't be able to do better when Jesus comes back. Think about that for a second, okay? Everything else we do, when we, when we sing songs together, I promise you, it is going to be better in the new heavens and in the new earth. No offense, it was wonderful tonight, and, it, and I'm looking forward to the rest of it. Uh, you know, preaching, me, me talking, I will be out of a job in the new heavens and the new earth. No one will want to listen to me talk about anything. If you can hear from Jesus, I think you're going to choose to hear from Jesus, not from me. Everything we do will be better in the new heavens and the new earth, except for one thing, and that is being a witness to Jesus, to people who need him. In the new heavens, the new earth, the the time will be up. There will be no more of that. God has you here right now for that purpose so that the people around you who need Jesus would hear about him from you. And if you aren't engaged in that mission, then it would not be surprising at all to me to hear that your faith is a little bit dry because Jesus is calling you to go somewhere. He's saying, hey, come, come join me. I've got work to do. And if you're sitting back because you're more concerned with just the here and now, and as we all are, as just the, the mundane things of life, paying the car payment, figuring out how to get ahead at work and make your marriage work and all that, which are so important and God cares. But, but if you're so invested in just this moment that you're not looking around for the way that God wants to use you to be a witness of the kingdom, then you're missing out. And we grow in our love of Jesus and in our recognition of his power and his presence with us as we take the steps of being faithful to join him in that work. So my prayer is that you get to experience that as well. Let's pray. Lord, we want to see you work. And we want to be a part of your mission. And so, Lord, we just, we pause right now. And we ask you to speak. I I ask that you would bring a person to mind right now who needs Jesus and who you have placed in our lives for a reason. And Lord, there are people who need to hear Jesus and this community right here, Valley Church Salem, we're the ones you've called. And it's not going to come from somebody else. It's not going to come uh, from some podcast or from some people moving in from far away. It's going to be us in this community. And so, Lord, give us eyes to see that. Help us to, to be faithful, to listen and to speak and to invite and uh, 
And as we do that, Lord, would you just show your power so clearly in our life? Would you help us to remember that it isn't us, that it's you, that, that you're the one who works and you're the one who draws, and yet you give us the joy of getting to be a part of it because you delight in working through us. And so, God, I pray that many people would come to faith in Jesus through the relationships represented right here tonight. That a year from now, that two years from now, that five years from now, there would be people gathering to worship in this room right here, praising God, who today don't know the reality of the gospel and that we'd be able to celebrate the way that you do that, Lord, through our faithfulness, for your glory, for our good, for your kingdom. Lord, we want to give you our lives. Whatever you want from us, it's yours. Amen.